and I've always loved weddings I'm a complete sucker for weddings I don't even have to know you and I'll cry at the back of the church at somebody's wedding I could just be visiting the town and I see a bride and groom come out of a church and I'm in bits <laughs> um, and I helped um, really good friends of ours get married in New York um, I did my sister's and I did our wedding and I just thought hmm, there might be something in here there's something about the flip side of life I've always dealt with people at their worst times and mm -hmm. um, what about looking at the the opposite side of it what about celebrating people's joyous times when it comes to your career there really is no one formula for success and if someone had asked me 20 years ago what career I would be working in today I doubt I would have said employer branding a career that didn't even exist at the time some of the best stories I've ever heard didn't follow a plan they simply embrace the journey. And that's why I've created this podcast, to share the many career stories that have shaped the people behind them, and to encourage future generations to trust more in the process, instead of stressing over getting it right the first time. I'm Steve, and welcome to the My Career Story Podcast. Hello and welcome back for season two of the My Career Story podcast with me, your host, Steve Keith. Now, since you last heard from me, this podcast has been downloaded for the thousandth time. I'm super proud and thankful that the career stories shared so far are resonating with you and your own journeys. I've also been busy scheduling and recording with the next batch of guests that you can look forward to over the coming months. A few teasers of what's to come include the career stories of two newly published authors, a nomadic graphic artist, a chef, a magician turned motivational speaker, a reality TV star, an entrepreneur establishing their business in the village I grew up in, and one of the 2019 LinkedIn Top Voices who has also been awarded an MBE. Now before we get to today's guests and their brave retelling of the unexpected twist in their career story, you might have noticed from the promotions leading up to today's launch that the first four guests of season two we'll all identify with the LGBT plus community, just as I do. This is because every February marks the return of LGBT History Month, an annual month-long observance of lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender history, and the history of the gay rights and related civil rights movements, now in its 26th year, and observed by Australia, Canada, Hungary, the UK and the USA. Now, if you've followed any of my work through the Branding Man in the last 18 months, you'll know that I'm very passionate and I'm often seen calling out the lack of focus from employers recruiting young people, which is placed upon undisclosed diversity characteristics such as LGBT plus and the growing marketing trend to hashtag slap a rainbow on it during global pride celebrations each summer. The theme of this year's celebration is to educate out prejudice and make LGBT plus people more visible in all their rich diversity. So what better way to support than by sharing a selection of career stories told by members of its own often misunderstood community. Now I regularly share my own coming out story with school students in and around London with the charity Diversity Role Models. And before we meet today's guest, I wanted to mention their new campaign, Four. Now DRM have done their sums and £4 is the cost of one pupil receiving their workshop. 
That's to say, considering all their running costs from salaries to keeping the lights on, that a single donation of £4 means that they can extend their services to one more pupil in the UK. The potential of this small sum is phenomenal. It can begin the journey of opening a young mind to champion inequality safely outside a home, which berates difference, embed confidence in a concerned year 10 pupil unsure of how to support a classmate struggling with their gender identity, encourage standing in solidarity with a year 5 pupil being bullied and isolated by their classmates because they have two mums and much more. Their new campaign, simply known as Four, raises awareness of the impact that a small donation of at least £4 can have on embedding empathy and inclusion in the next generation. I've included a link in the show notes for your donations which I know will be warmly received. So, it's time for the first career story of the new season, as told by Lorna Reeves, founding director at My Oh My Events. Lorna is an award-winning business owner and entrepreneur, recently awarded Best Wedding Planner 2019 by the National Wedding Awards. The founder of My Oh My Events and My Oh My Weddings takes care of occasions for big corporates to happy couples, every event being nothing but exceptional. My My Weddings is dedicated to supporting the LGBT plus community to create their perfect day without any limitations. Lorna's career didn't begin in the world of event planning, but in fact, she was a member of the Met Police, spending over 15 years in forensics. It is everything that you're imagining, evidence, fingerprints and serious investigations. Lorna made the leap to pursue her passion for creating experiential, game-changing events, spreading and sharing the wedding love, down to every last intricate detail. Best-selling co-author, public speaker and leader, Lorna is a force for change, driving and establishing a representation and a voice for the LGBT plus community. We caught up a few weeks ago. Hi Lorna, how are you today? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad, thanks. Another busy day done. So thank you very much again for um, taking part in podcast specifically for this um, launch month around LGBT History Month as well. For my listeners, could you give me a brief introduction to yourself? Absolutely. Um, my name is Lorna Reeves and I am the founder and owner of My Oh My Weddings, which is the UK's only dedicated LGBT wedding planning company. Excellent. So I'm going to let you roll with it like I have guests before you. So what is your career story? My career story is a roller coaster. Um, It kind of started almost by accident. I left school at 18 after having all of the expectations of going to university. I did reasonably well at school and found schools quite straightforward. So I had uni opportunities all over the place, but decided at 18 that I'd kind of had enough of being talked at. Mm -hmm. So saw an advert in the Metro on the way home from a university interview and um, applied to the Met as um, a scenes of crime officer. So I got the job, Lord knows how, um, but I managed to get the job. So I left school in the June and I started with the Met Police in the September. Mm. So at the ripe old age of 18, um, went straight into scenes of crime work. And then really my career progressed through the ranks. I worked all over London um, and worked for the Met total 15 years. Um, And I started off doing burglaries and um, vehicle crimes and then progressed into specialising into more serious crime, gang violence, GBHs, sexual offences, and then up to murders. I... um, was running a team for the North of about 50 examiners for a while. 
Um, and then I moved to specialise in firearms, which was really good fun. So I did lots of project work and got to work um, all over the country, setting policies and various things. Um, I had an absolute ball at the Olympics. I uh, did the forensic provision for the uh, Olympic Games when they came to London in 2012. So did a lot of behind the scenes stuff and played around in the Olympic Village. And um, yeah, really good fun. Long, long hours, but uh, really good fun. What sort of stuff did you have to do for that? Um, so I mostly ran the teams, but we had, um, unfortunately, there was still quite a lot of um, crime within the Olympic footprint. So we had um, a lot of robberies. There was still some knife crime. Um, and then usually when you get a lot of tourists or a lot large groups of people in any one area, you tend to get a bit of violence, um, a bit of alcohol-fueled violence, um, a few sexual offences. Um, thankfully not too much between the athletes it tend to be with the um, spectators and a lot of the tourists in and around but because the security was quite tight around the various footprints and you had the other venues around Greenwich um, and then the other cycling venues in Essex and that sort of thing you had to be accredited to be able to even get into them so we had specialist teams dealing with those Um, so yeah we do all the photography and collect all the DNA and the fingerprints and then have to turn it around quite quickly because if we wanted to identify suspects, we needed to get them in while they were still in the country before they jet off home to wherever they've come from. So, so yeah, really good fun for a while. Yeah, gosh, interesting. I mean, I, I was just intrigued by that anyway. I, I'm doing some work with a, a charity called Police Now over the last year and working with them on their detective and police constable recruitment. So it's always interesting for me to know what goes on with these types of roles but my friends that are listening to this will know that I was an absolute goon when it came to the 2012 Olympics <laughs> it just piqued my interest with that alone and <laughs> um, just brought back some fond memories then of uh, a good summer there for me yeah it was it was really good fun really great atmosphere um, yeah. and it didn't rain for 12 weeks in London an amazing achievement <laughs> I don't know. so that's that's 2012 so carry on your story for us so um after that i um then got promoted um again and uh, finished my career running the forensic lab for the met so the met's the only force in the country that has an in-house laboratory okay. um, so i finished up um running that and um had 160 staff and managed all the contracts and the procurement so every piece of forensic from any crime scene um, across London comes through the doors of the forensic Mm -hmm. lab and it was yeah it was a busy time that I finished up on so we had the um, Westminster attack then we had the London Bridge attack and then we had Manchester um, and all of that work came through my team as well as all of the uh, everyday business Um, so yeah it was it was a really busy time I definitely learned a lot um and kind of learned a lot about myself during that period as well mm. um, and i think i had two kind of uh shifts um and that made me rethink what i was doing and rethink my career and my choices okay um and i'm happy to talk about those a little bit yeah please do yeah it'd be interesting because i'm always interested in hearing kind of what makes people go on to that next step especially when you've just kind of gone through your journey up to that point and I know where you're ending up so yeah do carry on so um it was two 2000 and I'm just working my sums backwards 2016 
I was out and about um, on Borough um, doing the usual crime scene things um, and the Met had recently had to reduce its staffing because of costs and funding and all that, that sort of stuff. They lost their entire forensic photography capacity. Okay. So that role then fell to the scene examiners, so my team. And I was photographing my seventh body in six days, which was quite a lot for even by our standards. Um, barely my nine one person of 300. Mm. It was kind of replicate that across the city and arrived at the scene, which wasn't particularly great. And the poor officer on scene was brand new and it was his first dead body. So I had to deal with him and help him. He got zero support from his managers. And so I had to talk him through and, and aid him. And the scene, by my standards, wasn't particularly awful. You know, I've seen far worse and I've dealt with far worse. But it was obviously accumulation because that night, for the first time, I dreamt about the body when I went home. And that, that had never happened to me in my career before. Um, and then from there on, I started getting um, quite tearful at the thought of going into work. I... Um, was really quite anxious about going into work and was still having these dreams so I wasn't sleeping well um, and that had never happened to me it was it was completely new and I went to my manager bear in mind I was responsible for a lot of staff and I did my level best to protect them and support them I said to my manager at the time that something something's going on something doesn't feel right I'd really appreciate not dealing with dead bodies just for a couple of weeks I don't I don't want to go off sick I don't particularly feel that I need that I just feel I need a little bit of space a bit of thinking space and um, and the general reply was well you don't really get to pick and choose what your job is um, you just kind of have to get on with it <laughs> yeah so completely unsupported um and and pretty devastated to be honest that 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 would be the first response from from a manager yeah any manager but especially someone that i've been working with and working for for quite a while mm -hmm. and i just i couldn't wrap my head around it. it's not something i would have ever said to anybody um and i wasn't asking for the world so i was angry i was upset um and obviously dealing or trying to deal with everything else that was going on for me at that time um, and that's what really spurred me on to get that promotion so I could remove myself from front line and and take a more backroom job mm. if you like um, so I would be dealing with um, all of the processing rather than the actual front line and yeah. gathering of evidence and I thought genuinely thought that'd be me done that would help it that would fix what I was going through at the time and I would be much better and little did I know I was really jumping from fire frying pan to fire um, and moved to a bigger job um, more complex more stress more anxiety mm -hmm. um, and again very little in the way of support and my direct boss then was was good and um, she was supportive but we were all under such incredible pressure she really had nothing to give me nothing to offer so I started suffering really badly with stress um, and it started really impacting me physically um, and bearing in mind I'd just turned 32 at the time yeah um, I had really bad stress stress eczema so it appeared all up my face 
my weight really fluctuated. Um, I would live on about two to three hours sleep a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the sort of icing on the cake was I, um, I developed stress incontinence, which at 32 is not something you ever consider that you might have to deal with. Mm. Um, and it becomes consuming and then just adds to the pressure and the stress even more. Imagine. And it was kind of at that point when it started really affecting my health and I asked for some support. And the Met have always been super supportive in terms of LGBT and equality. And I've never felt any pressure or prejudice. Um, the only time I felt it was when I asked to do compressed hours. I was doing crazy hours anyway. Um, and I just thought this stress might be abated a little bit if I can do four days a week. That gives me three full rest days um, to, yeah. to recover and recuperate. And the kind of general theme was, well, if you had kids, then we'd probably have to let you. But seeing as you don't, um, it's not something that we're, we're interested in approving. And and I thought, wow, that's that says a lot. I've worked for you for 15 years. It is my choice not to have children my wife and I decided that a long time ago that it wasn't something we wanted to do Mm -hmm. but that's not any less of a choice than somebody who does decide to have children Mm. so that was kind of it for me and it was I came home from work and said to my wife look I've asked for some support this was the answer that I'd gotten and she just said look your health is worth far more than this just put in your resignation resign and we'll figure it out yeah so, yeah, pretty much served my three-month notice and left in June 2018. Mm. Yeah. We've probably, in that respect, then, if I think of my own timelines, we've probably had similar experiences around kind of stress, anxiety, responses in the workplace when we're trying to come up with solutions and then made the same bold decision to just go. Absolutely. I, I think I mean a lot of people say to me that I must I'm very brave for doing that. You've had, you had people say similar things yeah, to absolutely. I couldn't do what you do. You're mm. so brave for leaving. How can you leave a long term job and security just mm. to set up on your own? You must be really brave. You've got yeah, uh, and it's and it's not. It's it's just I, I can't. I got to the point where I just couldn't do it anymore. Mm. Um, and and I, it's not. Yes, it is brave, but it was a calculated risk. I'm one of these people that I have to weigh up my options first, and I have to think about what what else am I going to do. Mm-hmm. But a job is just not worth it, and it's it's just not worth your health ever, no. in any capacity. Yeah, no, very very true. So how how did you deal with that? What next bit then? What did you do? So I'd been fortunate enough that I'd stumbled across, um, who's now my mentor, um, a guy called Alex Siri, and he actually started a business where he helps ex and serving police officers start their own businesses. Mm. Um, so happened to stumble across him at round about the time that I was thinking about leaving um, and signed up to his business course um, and didn't really have a business idea as such. Um, I kind of sat with him on the first day of the course and we threw around some ideas and it was about taking life experience and what you know and thinking about how you can develop a business from that. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved weddings. I'm a 
complete sucker for weddings. I don't even have to know you and I'll cry at the back of the church at somebody's wedding. I could just be visiting the town and I see a bride and groom come out of a church and I'm in bits. <laughs> um, and I helped um, really good friends of ours get married in New York. Um, I did my sister's and I did our wedding and I just thought hmm, there might be something in here. There's something about the flip side of life. I've always dealt with people at their worst times. Mm -hmm. um, what about looking at the, the opposite side of it? What about celebrating people's joyous times? And yeah. that kind of started an idea. And then with a bit of research, I actually had a look around and nobody else was specifically helping LGBTQ couples. So I thought, well, I've got experience in that as well. Um, and looked at my own experience of having to out myself every time I spoke to a venue or a supplier, having to explain multiple times that no, I was a woman marrying a woman. Mm -hmm. um, and sort of put the feelers out in a few different groups and communities. And I surveyed about 100 couples that had been married in that previous 12 months and 100% of them had experienced some sort of discrimination right? from not experiencing gender neutral language, um, you know, still having the bridal suite, even though it was two guys getting married, um, mm -hmm. to, so subtle things like that, to couples who had their cake maker cancel their cake order because they found out that it was a same-sex couple. And to the venue pulling the plug six weeks before because they didn't do those types of weddings. Bear in mind, this is 2018. We're not talking 10 years ago. Yeah. When it's brand new. This was, this was only 18 months ago, two years ago. Um, so that's when I thought, okay, something needs to change. And I think I'm going to have to be the start of that change. And so I left the Met on the 30th of June, 2018. And my oh my weddings was born on the 30th of June 2018. So I launched um, in London Pride Month. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was it was just incredible. The response that I got was was phenomenal. Um, not only from couples, but people, suppliers, and venues in the wedding industry that actively wanted to show their support, act mm. actively wanted to make changes. You know, what can we do to be more supportive? What can we do to help? You know, people really wanted to learn how they could be better. Mm. And that has been one of the staggering parts of, of, the, of the work that I've been doing over the last 18 months or so. Yeah. Gosh, I mean, it's, I mean, I would have admiration for you anyway, because you start in your own business. And like we were saying before we started recording um, together, that it's just, it's a, all about the journey as well when you're a business owner too. But I think when you're doing something that's, so kind of that's out there and leading the charge there's an extra sense of responsibility with that as well how have you managed that so far um with with struggles um i do feel a responsibility to get things right all the time because i am making waves and i'm, I'm kind of at the forefront of this change mm -hmm. sort of getting anything wrong is terrifying and the rate at which the world of LGBT is changing and um, developing and evolving still staggers me. So with the best will in the world, you could be the most forward-thinking ally. 
but they're still going to get it wrong. I still get it wrong. I, you know, I still stumble over people's pronouns, which I find I find mortifying. But we're in an ever-changing world, and all I can do is apologize and be better the next time, yeah. um, and share that learning. You know, I can share my experiences continually, and there is a certain amount of pressure to be right all the time. But we're never going to be. Um, and I find that if I just ask questions of people, you know, how do you want me to refer to you? How do you, as a couple, refer to each other? Mm -hmm. That's what I can do is respect each individual as I come across them. Um, and really try not to blanket people, not to um, try not to put people in assumptive boxes, I think is the biggest thing for me. Um, and yeah, it doesn't matter where, in the LGBTQ plus spectrum, you fall. Um, there's a place for everybody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, so you obviously, I mean, I'm, I'm presenting this, but like you've obviously done some great stuff so far because you've recently been nominated for an award, haven't you? Yeah. So I, 2019 and beyond has been incredible and more than I could imagine. Um, so last week I found out I was nominated um, for the uh, British LGBT Awards for a Diversity Hero Award. Unfortunately, this year didn't get shortlisted, but to non be nominated um, was incredible. September last year, I was at um, the National Diversity Awards for mm -hmm. Entrepreneur of Excellence. And that was just to be, I was shortlisted, so top six for that in the country. Um, as an entrepreneur myself, um, to be in the room with some spectacular people celebrating diversity in every form was just amazing, absolutely incredible. Um, and then also the business won um, Best Wedding Planner of the Year 2019 at the National Wedding Awards last year. So the fact that people are recognising the work that's going on in the background and they're recognising the change and they're jumping on that bandwagon uh, I need to get more bandwagons essentially <laughs> to make it even bigger and even better it's just been uh, phenomenal absolutely yeah. amazing congratulations that's some great achievements there thank you thank you so much and it's not it's not easy definitely not easy and I have days where I just sit and cry and want to throw it all in but but having those I got a couple of my awards and certificates on the shelf just remind me that you know, I am making a difference, even if it feels only small at the moment, it is having ripples elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. So tell me about, I'm intrigued, because you, you've said that you're that person that gets easily excited about weddings and bursts into joy, and that sounds like a really big part of what you do. Um, tell me about some of the weddings that have kind of been highlights for you so far. Oh, okay. Um... My own has definitely got to feature in that somewhere along the line. Um, not only was I lucky enough to marry my best friend, um, which we did twice. We did civil partnership the first time round. Okay. Um, that was back in 2011. And we just kept it really small. And my benchmark was, if I wouldn't go out for dinner with you, you don't get an invite to the wedding. So it was really our nearest and dearest, lots of friends and the party was phenomenal we drank the bar dry twice um, and danced a lot and uh, we had a private um manor house in surrey 
Mm -hmm. So everybody stayed over um, and you knew everybody that was at the bar or or was on the dance floor was part of the wedding. Mm -hmm. And it was just really, it was just really fun and full of good stuff. And I know that I can look back at the day and know that everybody in that room was there to support us on our day, but also still support us now this Mm -hmm. far down the line. Yeah. And so that was that was an epic day and you know both got to wear a nice frock so uh, (laughs) that just adds to it Um, and one of my highlights has got to be the New York wedding Um, it was an elopement Um, two really good friends of mine have family all over the place um, and are military and police and didn't really know where to start but don't like being the centre of attention Mm. so I combined a recce in New York with a visit to my sister and um, essentially booked their entire wedding for them either here in the UK via the internet and interviewed celebrants and interviewed photographers um, via Zoom and Skype and whatever else I could lay my hands on mm-hmm. and then visited the place where they would have their ceremony so they had it um, in amongst the trees in Central Park Um, with a gorgeous celebrant who designed them a really personalised ceremony. Um, There were five of us there on the day. And then I arranged for a Hummer to drive us around from hotel to venue. I had a a vintage yellow cab uh, pick us up from ceremony um, and took the couple to the rooftop bar in New York. And a September day was gloriously sunny. and this vintage yellow cab stopping on Park Avenue and stopping traffic because everybody wanted to take pictures and mm. everybody was celebrating them as a couple. Um, went to the oldest steakhouse in New York for their wedding dinner and, and genuinely the people in New York couldn't have been nicer. Everybody was beeping and cheering and passers-by coming up to congratulate them. It was just absolutely incredible. A really, really amazing day, and proof that you really don't need to have a massive wedding mm. to to make it special, to make it special to you as a couple. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Do is is there an argument that maybe for those of us that identify with LGBT that we we would want to keep it smaller, or that there's something about that closeness or intimacy that you would tend to see, or is that a generalization or? No, just a point of interest of my own, I think. Yeah, I think it really depends on the couple. Um, a couple of weddings I've had this year have been 100, 100 plus, 150 plus guests. Um, mm. And that's because they genuinely have that many really close friends. Um, yeah. I think I think those of us who do identify with the community are very selective about who we spend our time with. I think is a really great thing i would much rather have a group of really small friends and a small group of friends and celebrate with them than have a load of superfluous people who you can't remember mm. um, but i think we all choose to spend our time wisely and if that's with a group of five or a group of a hundred um it's it's what suits you um, and suits your budget yeah. um, and suits how you're going to feel comfortable on the day if you're a real introvert and the thought of standing in front of a hundred friends and family saying your vows fills you with dread, then don't do it. Just mm-hmm. have something small and intimate and carefully constructed. Um, and really it's got to be stress-free. You know, most weddings take 
a year to plan. I can do it in 16 weeks if I really have to. Okay. And if you've got the funds for it and I can find you a venue, we can do it in 16 weeks, which are really fun because you can get swept up from the moment romance of engagement to wedding in mm-hmm. a really short space of time. But most people tend to, tend to plan about a year ahead and it can be really tough to spend that whole year bickering about a venue or squabbling about colours or not having weekends to yourself because you've got to go around visiting all these places when that's what I really like to do. I've got contacts and I've got people Mm -hmm. that I know will welcome anyone from our community with open arms. You don't even have to identify yourselves. I contact my vendors and I say, I'm sending over Steve and Mark. They're an amazing couple. They're getting married in September. They'd really like to use you as a photographer. Mm. instantly I know that they're going to get welcomed and supportive and loved from the outset um, so there's none of that awkwardness that's what I really love about the work that I do and the, the kind of community that I've built up of wedding suppliers and keep adding to because I'm, I'm working UK wide at the moment mm-hmm. um, it's just awesome that I can have a really supportive group of people and I know that our, my couples will feel safe and looked after and celebrated from the get-go and that they're going to enjoy the whole planning experience as well as just the day itself Mm. they're going to enjoy the run up to it you know it's exciting picking your wedding outfit whether it's a really cool pair of jeans and a pair of red shoes that you've been coveting for years Mm -hmm. wedding's a great excuse to buy them Um, or whether it is the traditional wedding dress um, whatever it is for for those particular people, mm. it should be special. Each of those moments should be really, really magical for them. Yeah, gosh, I'm <laughs> daydreaming enough about my prince charming somewhere out Good. there. Good, start start yeah. your Pinterest board soon. Yeah, <laughs> you're listening, then I found our wedding planner. Hooray! <laughs> just a couple of things that I just want to kind of um, ask you going back in your story a little bit because mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I've um I'm working on because I know I fail at it sometimes is having come from that space where I wasn't necessarily coping and then throwing myself into the the pit of running a business can be quite all-consuming itself so how do you make time for Lorna? I should be better at it. I'm not always the best at it. Um, I've now got um, a VA that I took on, a virtual assistant that I took on in September, and she helps me a lot. Okay. She manages my diary for me, um, which I find really helpful. So actually helps me say no, um, whereas I would try and shoehorn in a meeting between another one and one that I've got to dash to, she'll actually say to the person, actually, no, Lorna's pretty much booked today. Um, so I'll book you in on a different day. Yeah. So she does a little bit of that for me. Um, I try and be very careful about not letting my work spill out of this office. And most of the time I work from home. It's, I'm sitting in my home office now. Yeah. Um, and I'm very careful not to let it seep into the rest of the house so when I close my door on my office I'm closing the door on business for the day yeah and um, I work funny hours I most of the time I'm up at five um, and I'm working at five in the morning but that's just how I work 
Um, I'm quite careful that I try and include exercise where I can. If I've been busy and I've neglected it, I really notice it. Um, my yeah. mood feels very low. I feel quite um, uninspired and unenergized. And I only have to flick back through my diary and think, mm, okay, need to, need to work out today. Need to do something today. Yeah. Um, and then a big thing for me is just getting outside. Um, I am what I call a high-functioning introvert. I am naturally um, introverted, but I can adapt where I need to. Um, but I do very much enjoy spending time on my own um, and outside and in nature. So picking up the dogs and heading out for a walk during the day at some point is a is a must. Yeah. Just being outside with some fresh air, some no blue lights from your screens. Um, I find that really helps to clear my head um, and clear my heart a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah. Those are all good things. I'm, I'm, I'm a big dog lover, so I know they're, they're almost the kind of an easy excuse to get out because they don't let you get away with not going outside. Absolutely. Um, and they're also great things for just generally bringing joy into your life a lot of the yes. time. Yeah. Yes, most of the time. They, uh, they're just happy to see you all the time. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to end with asking you a question that I ask every guest that I speak to on the podcast, which is what would be your um, best piece of career advice for somebody that's listening? That if you've got something buzzing around in the back of your head that won't go away, listen to it and explore it um, in whatever way that takes it might just be asking around making a few connections on social media or linkedin and exploring the idea in a non-committal way it might be sounds like you and i tucking it in and going whole hog after that big idea but i think if it's in the back of your brain and it won't go away it's usually either your inner self or the universe speaking to you and you need to listen to it yeah yeah I love that. That's really good advice and it resonates with me a lot. And I think there's a few people in my life listening to this at the moment that I've been having conversations with that probably will sit up and take notice listening to that as well if they're, uh, if they're listening. Good, good. You've got to do something around your purpose. Otherwise, what's the point? Yes, exactly. Love it. So thank you so much for your time um, and for sharing your story on my Career Story podcast. You're very welcome. I'm going to pop some links um, on the um, on the website in the show notes and stuff through to my and my wedding so people can go and have a look and, and things and through to your Instagram channels and everything. Um, but thank you for um, your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you for letting me share my story. No worries. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again to Lorna for sharing your story so authentically and bravely. Definitely the biggest career pivot to date from a guest, I think. And thanks to you for listening to the My Career Story podcast today. Don't forget to subscribe via your preferred listening platform. And if you liked what you've heard so far, please do take the time to leave a review to add to the existing five-star rating. See you next week with another special guest to celebrate LGBT History Month. Bye for now.